Matt Harmless, and thank you for listening to Edgewood Sermon Audio. This is sermon number 40 from the Gospel According to Luke. This sermon was originally preached on October the 10th, 2021. No introduction today. I'm going to jump right into this story because the story is amazing. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll jump right into this. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day again. I thank you, God, for your... Your good, good word. I just thank you, God, for this story that it's been preserved for us, Lord. I just pray and ask that you would let its point have its full work in our hearts this morning. I ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I thought about doing some review because there are some things that happened previously that tie into this, but I'm okay with that because I think that in and of its own, the story is going to carry a point that I believe that you will benefit from this morning. Okay? Let's jump into it, starting with verse 36. We've got them up on the slide, but if you want to follow along, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Talking about Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So, first of all, First of all, I'm just going to read a verse, talk about it a little bit, read a verse, talk about it a little bit, read a verse, talk about it, just trying to pull some things out. We'll get to some points at the end. Uh, I want you to think, first of all, about why this invitation. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. I can't help but wonder if the invitation had something to do with uh, where the Pharisees are going with this. We're going to see the Pharisees more and more trying to trap Jesus in his words. But he, we don't know that for this particular case. Simon this Pharisee is going to be the, this Pharisee's name. Um, he could have just said, hey, this is this famous Jesus. I'm, going to, I'm the Pharisee of this town. I'm pretty well known. I'm going to bring Christ in. Let's eat together. In fact, we're going to see in just a minute, this is probably, this is going to seem strange to us, but this is probably what would have been known as a public meal. Okay, So their houses would have been laid out. There would have been an inner courtyard. And many times, because he was reclining, if this was like a family meal, they would have sat at the table. Because they're reclining at table, this implies that this could have been like a more of a public type meal. And this, I think this is odd, but you know what would have happened in this courtyard? People were known, hey, they knew this, this I mean, Jesus is here, celebrity, this Pharisee, he's pretty well known. And people could come into the courtyard and they'd sit around the edge. Sometimes beggars would come in hoping to get some scraps, but they would come in, they'd sit around the edge, and you could just listen to the conversation, Right? Kind of like us listening to a podcast today, right? People would just come in. They say, "Hey, there's going. Hey, they're having this meal. Let's let's swing by and hear what they're talking about." And so this is what they did. And they would recline at table. They'd usually kind of lay on their left side, and their feet would kind of go behind them a little bit. Okay. Don't miss this though. Jesus is willing. Oh, you guys, is the buzz bothering you? Right? It's but bo- ooh, where'd it go? I thought that was in my ears. It's gone. Oh, don't, don't miss this, though. Jesus is willing to eat with this Pharisee, too. Uh, now, see, in our day and age, we, we, you know, for them, obviously, yeah, sure he would. But sometimes the Pharisees, we already have this negative connotation about the Pharisees. But don't miss the fact that Jesus, when he was invited, said, yeah, sure. I'll eat with anybody. I'll go. And he does. The next verse starts with an exclamation. It's going to be the words, and behold. Luke, Luke does this. The grammar of it implies this is like, boom. Something happened, okay? Odd. Verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, 
So there's this, gives this idea that this was kind of like a, hey, she heard about it. I'm going to swing by there too. When she heard about this, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This interesting side note here, I want you to pay attention to this as we go through the story. This woman becomes a, a key focal point of this story, never says one word. You're not going to hear one thing that this, this woman says. She never, there's no, like, and she said, okay, that's not going to happen. But her actions are going to speak a thousand words over again. You're just going to, I mean, this, she's going to play such a key part in this story. <clears throat> the discussion is going to center around her. And though she does not say one word, her actions are going to speak a thousand. She's a woman of the city or woman in the city, the way you translate it. There's a lot of possibilities of what this could mean. We're going to be able to tell from the story. We don't know for sure if she was a prostitute. Like Paul said, it may have been Mary Magdalene. We, we don't know. We don't know who this is. Her name is not given to us. But we can tell from the story she has a reputation. You're going to see that real clear. This woman... For whatever the reputation is, it's not a good one. She has a reputation. She's a woman of the city. And she finds out. And this would be an odd, odd thing for her. I mean, it would have been customary. Other people popping in, hanging out on the side, listening to conversations. But for her to come deserves that and behold at the beginning of this verse. So she comes in. This alabaster flask of ointment is not the cheap stuff, by the way. You're going to hear oil mentioned later. This is not the cheap stuff. This is the expensive stuff. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. You picturing this? So he, if you think about him reclining, his feet would have been kind of behind him. So she would have snuck over to the table, weeping. And her tears are falling on his feet, his dusty feet, I imagine, I wonder if she told herself before she went, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. And then she got there, and at his feet, and she's crying. I imagine, and I think you're going to see this as well, I think this is a person who's heard the teachings of Christ. And she's daring to hope that what he said is true. And so that's why she's here today. And she's there, and she's weeping. And imagine the tears hitting. Imagine his dusty feet. We're going to know that they're dusty. You're going to find out about that in just a minute. Dusty feet. Can you imagine those tears hitting? You ever seen that? Like a little bit of dust, but when, the, when something wet hits, it turns darker and you can see it real clearly. I imagine her seeing that and then maybe realizing, oh my goodness, I'm crying on his feet. And then she takes her hair, starts wipe, cleaning them. Okay. The letting down of the hair, by the way, the Talmud, um, a book from that day, allowed for divorce of a woman who let her hair down in public. I mean, I, we're going to have to try to enter into the, the reality of the story. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. This would, no, regardless of tradition, this would be odd today. If I was sitting somewhere and somebody came over and started crying on my feet and wiping them with their hair, that would be like, okay, and that would deserve an behold by itself. Okay. I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm not Jesus, I'm kind of a touch-me-not, so I would have been like, uh, I don't know about this. But Jesus lets her do this. Let me tell you a couple more things. I, I want to share this. I found this uh, yesterday. Um, this comes from a, a man, uh, this is Philip Riken who writes this, but he got this from a, uh, um, a person who lived, who's li who lives in the Middle East today, has lived there their whole life. 
And this person who lived there, when they think about the story, this is what they wrote. They said, the point that really struck me about Jesus' response to the woman was its complete departure from what was socially acceptable. I'm not sure if one can really begin to grasp how shocking it was unless one has spent enough time in the Middle East for its attitudes to start melding with their own. The worst sin a woman can commit in the Middle East is to lose or appear to have lost her virginity outside of marriage. The most important asset she has as a woman is her reputation. That's how it is in the Middle East. The whole honor of the family hangs on the reputation of its women. If a woman has nothing but her reputation as a chaste woman, she always has a chance to succeed. But if she has everything but her reputation, she is lost before it even begins. If a man, particularly a religious man, is known to have even spoken with such a lost woman, his reputation will follow hers down the drain. It is a hard system, and it crosses religious lines. Now, consider that same system, but let's take it back 2,000 years to a less forgiving time. Then think about Jesus' encounter with this sinful woman. And this person wrote, shocking, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. For, I think it is probably hard for us to really get into. We can kind of imagine it a little bit. We've seen enough TV shows or movies or things that depict the Middle East and how it's been and how it is today. But just try to enter into that, the shocking reality of it. I think it'd be shocking for myself. But to be back in that, you'd be like, what in the world is he doing? Her bravery in doing it is astounding. The fact that Jesus is letting her do it, astounding. If you would have been there, you would have been jaw dropped open. What is happening? The grammar, one of my other commentaries points out the grammar, the, the, the wiping, wiping his feet, kissing his feet, anointing, right? The way the grammar is done in this, uh, Daryl Bach puts it this way, the impression is that each step took some time. One can imagine the impression it made at the meal. We're not talking about a couple seconds. Can you imagine that? In the middle of conversation, they're eating, and this starts. I picture the Pharisee going, what's going on? Jesus not stopping her. The Pharisee probably looking like, is he going to stop her? What's going to happen? She keeps doing it, now she's crying. She's letting her hair down. What's she doing? What? And then the ointment, anointing at his feet. And the Pharisee, not out loud, mind you, but in his mind, says this. When the Pharisee who had invite, invited him saw this, he said to himself, I always wonder how we know this. I mean, ultimately, we know this because the Spirit of God has inspired the Word of God, and so we know this is true. But how did, how did Luke know this to be true? Did, did Jesus tell someone that told Luke? By the way, like maybe the, the, his disciples later, how'd you, why'd you answer that? Well, actually, I knew he, what he was thinking. I don't know. But there's a lot of irony in the statement. The Pharisee who had invited him in saw this. And I think the Pharisees, we're going to see this starting to build. So here's a little seed to plant for later. 
the Pharisees are starting to try to figure out, what do we do with this guy? He's doing some amazing things, but he's kind of insulting to us. And what are we going to do with him? And this Pharisee says in his mind, in his heart, if this man were a prophet, I mean, if he, if he were a prophet, then he'd know who she was. See, I know who she is because I'm from here. Everybody knows who she is because I'm from here, we're from here. If you're from here, you know who she is. If he was a prophet, even though he's not from here, if he's a prophet, he'd know who she was. To himself, he says this. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And you can almost, because of our sentiments, can you almost feel the disdain dripping off of his, well, he's not saying it, but out of his, his eyes, <laughs> you know? Hmm. Can you just feel it? Jesus knows. In fact, what he says next, it says he answers him, which I think is awesome because it shows he, well, he is a prophet. He knows what he's thinking. Her reputation has preceded her, though. The Pharisee knows it. Jesus knows it, though the Pharisee doesn't think he does. And we know it. As the readers of the story, we know it. And Jesus answers him. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And I said it that way because the, the way this is phrased lets you know there's some tension in the answer. I've had this happen before. You guys know I'm a dean. And there's been some times I've told kids, do you really think you should have done that? Is that a good thing? They know the answer. I know the answer. I'm asking the question, so they'll answer it. I'll say, can I say something to you about this? Hey, hold on a second. Can I just say something to you right now? And I've had kids look at me in the eye, and I know they don't want anything that I've got to say. But they go, sure, go ahead. <laughs> that's, what, that's what's going on here. Sure. Because I know that I can't say no. If I say no, then I sound like this. And I, but I'm fine, so go ahead, teacher. Say what you got to say, whatever. Jesus, Simon, I've got something to say to you, bud. And Simon's like, okay, say it. Now, this parable he's about to tell, I'm going to venture into possibility, okay? There's some thought that this parable may not have been an original Jesus parable. There's some things about it that, that hint that it may have been a much, like a little parable that people have been telling for years. It's like the kind of thing that people have been saying, you know, a little story that people use to illustrate a point. It's probably been around for a while, okay? I like to think, I don't know, I like to think that maybe this Pharisees even used this story to illustrate a point before. I don't know, though. It's very obvious. Listen to it carefully. Jesus tells the story. He said, I got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, whatever, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. And another, 50 a denarius is about a day's wages. So one of them owes about almost two months' worth of money. The other one owes over a year's worth. So we're kind of talking like the difference between a car loan versus a new house loan. Does that make sense? You with me on this? Okay. I'm going to ask you some questions in a minute, so get ready. These two individuals that owe this moneylender 
in some way, shape, or form, the bill has come due in full. And it says this, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And then the question to Simon the Pharisee from Christ. Which of them will love him more? Which of those two will love the moneylender more? Now, you have to say, this is a very gracious act, is it not? You know what I think would be a gracious act? I think it would be a gracious act to give the person more time. I think it would be a gracious act to come up with a payment plan. But this guy is extremely gracious, and what does he do? He goes, forgiven, canceled. Now, you guys are smart. Before we go any, I mean, this is, this is obvious. I, you don't need a pastor to figure this one out. The, the moneylender, who's the moneylender supposed to be? I didn't hear anybody. God, thank you. Appreciate it. Where's the candy at, Paul? Yeah, God. God's the moneylender. The debt. What is the debt? Sin. Right? You guys don't have to mumble. If you're wrong, I'll just point at you and laugh, and then we'll move on. I'm just joking. I'm not going to do that. Sin. That's two, two debtors here. Who do you think that the Pharisee heard, and maybe the woman heard, and Jesus was implying, are each of those two people? Even before Jesus gets there, he's going to just say it. Who do you already, can you already tell? Who, who's the guy that just owes a little bit? The Pharisee. Who's, who's the one that owes a whole bunch? The lady. See, this isn't complicated. They get it. I think the Pharisee gets it before Jesus explains it. Simon answered. <laughs> feel it in his answer. Can't you feel it? The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. I wonder, I wonder if he's told this story before. And maybe that's why the Pharisees do such a, all the things that they do, because they, they love Jesus. They are, they love God, the Father. So Jesus is making a point. And he says to him, you've judged rightly. That's correct. Good job. Here's your candy. We knew the answer, and that was the right answer. We both knew that. But then Simon, Jesus to Simon, wants to make sure he gets the full impact. And I love this as well. Can you tell why? I, I, I don't even need to hardly preach. This, this thing preaches itself. I, I, love, I love this. I love this next little phrase. I love The more I read it, the more I thought, I just love this. What, look, look at what Jesus is doing here. He turns to the woman but who does he speak to? Simon, the Pharisee. So he's been talking to Simon, and he turns over and he looks, he looks at this woman. And he's talking. So, so in some way, I think some of what he's getting ready to say is for her too. But, but he's, he's still talking to Simon. But then even that first question. I want to throw in there an even. I think that's part of what's implied here. Do you see... Do you even see her? Is she even a person to you? Do you see this woman? Now, 
I want to tell you right now before I go any further. This is not my notes. I know because I know this church. I know you guys love this stuff. You eat it up. Because I know many of you identify not with the Pharisee, but with her. And, and it brings a welling up in you. Because you start to place yourself in the story. And you start to see Jesus just looking at you. And you know what I hear when I hear this? I hear, I hear Jesus going, I see you. Some people don't. I do. He looks. He turns toward the woman. Away from the table. She's behind him. And he's talking to Simon. You see this woman? He brings out three things that maybe ought to have happened. Maybe not. I entered your house. Number one, you gave me no water for my feet. It's not that Simon necessarily should have washed his feet, but he should have at least offered the water as customary. A bit offensive, maybe, if he had not. I, I wonder if um, she, maybe that's how it started. Maybe she started at the edge and she saw his dirty feet and thought, he didn't get his feet. There's something I can do. There's something I can do. Come here, come Entered your house, she gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet. That word wet is, is sometimes used in different places in the Bible to, to describe a downpour of rain. And she's bawling, running down the face, dripping off onto his feet. You gave me no kiss. We don't do this anyway, but they, you, they did. Even there's some countries today that that's how, Have you seen people do that before? That's how they greet each other? That's the customer... We shake hands. I prefer that, by the way. <laughs> I'm not really advocating for greeting each other with a holy kiss. Stay back, Todd. Um, just, just so you know. But that was customary. I mean, we see that, you know. Both sides, right? Please don't try that to me. But that was customary. And th but this guy didn't do it. This would be like if, if I had some over and I didn't offer to, hey, welcome to my house. This Pharisee didn't even say, I mean, this customary greeting he didn't even do. And Jesus says, you didn't do that, and she has not ceased kissing my feet. And third, you did not anoint my head with oil. Sometimes if you had an honored guest, you would offer a, an anointing of the, the cheap stuff, oil, some olive oil, right? But she's anointed my feet with this ointment, the expensive stuff. Therefore, I tell you, remember he said he had something to say to Simon. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, you're not wrong, Simon. She's a sinner. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. I know this, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, there's a couple things in there before, and I'm not going to get to all of them right off the bat. He does not deny that she's a sinner, but her actions, her actions speak to something else. Her actions speak to something else. Great forgiveness results in great love and devotion. 
little forgiveness results in little love. Or in like the case of the Pharisee, no love for Christ. It was at this point, I was talking about this just this morning with Charity. We are talking, I, as you guys know, I like to run my sermons like this. Like, cause I, I want to see, I'm going to be honest, she knows this already. I like to see expressions on the face. Because if I say something and it's confusing, she'll make sure that I know that's confusing. And I go, okay, I need to rewrite that. And so we're talking about this, mor- this morning, and she asked the question, and it was an awesome question. She's in here, she'd hate that I'm telling you guys this, but it was an awesome question. I mean, it was like the key, most important question. I didn't see it until I was reading through a commentary, and they were talking about, this is really the question. She picked up on it. She said, what did she want? Why, why did she do all that? Why was she there? What was she asking for? Nothing, absolutely nothing is said in this text about what she was there for. Well, we have to read into it to see what it is. Nothing is said. What were her motivations, though? I don't believe that she was seeking forgiveness. I believe that she was seeking confirmation of his teachings about forgiveness, that maybe she's been forgiven. That someone like her could be part of God's kingdom. I mean, that's what Jesus has been... Isn't that all that he's been talking about when he teaches? The low, the meek. He's been saying it over and over and over again. I imagine this woman has heard those teachings and said... And she finally was like, I I believe it. And so I'm going to go see him. I believe she was looking for confirmation. I mean, to dare against... I mean... Yeah, sure, some people being forgiven of their sins, but I, I bet she was thinking, but me, I think, I think he's even talking about me. I think even me. And so he says to her this. Now, this is not the first time Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke. Second time. First time. Anybody remember the first time he said, who, who did he say it to the first time? Does anybody remember? Test your knowledge here. Anybody remember who he said it to the first time? What's that? Yes. Yeah, like, because uh, they, remember they lowered him down, and instead of saying, oh, you get up and walk, first he says, your sins are forgiven you. That's chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. This, this phrase, are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Darabach says, this is the perfect tense of this verb, and, it u- and its use denotes that she is in a state of forgiveness. It suggests that the forgiveness began somewhere in the past. The word is designed to reassure the woman and provide confirmation for her in the in the face. I'm supposed to say in the face in the face of the Pharisees' general rejection. I mean, he's rejected her. Christ accepts her. These things that she's doing, and he's, when he says your sins are forgiven, we, we need to understand that is Jesus saying it's already happened. He goes on to say, he says, the inclusion of this verse reveals that the, what the woman sought, confidence of forgiveness. I put this whole quote in here because I, I do that with quotes I love. If I read a quote and I'm like, I love that quote. That's why I put it in there. It reveals what the woman sought, confidence of forgiveness. However, she came and served out of love and gratitude, not with a plea. You don't ever hear her say that. Jesus gave her what she did not seek. And again, this is where I, I, know, I know you guys. And this is the kind of stuff you guys love. This is, we're, we're learning who Jesus is in this, aren't we? 
he gave her what she didn't even dare to ask for. He gifted her with the assurance that God knew why she had acted despite the Pharisees' protest at the dinner. This is precisely the beauty of God's forgiveness. Given to the humble, it exalts them in assurance, not assurance grounded in self-confidence and pride, but assurance that they can rely on God and respond to him, knowing that he is aware of their heart and that he has responded and that he responds to the humble. There's some things I think I could say about Jesus even making a statement like your sins are forgiven you. Either he's deluded, presumptuous, or blasphemous, or he is the one that can do these sorts of things. There's no middle ground on that. But I don't want to go down that path. In fact, as I chewed on this, even into this morning, I realized something. We've got a problem in really understanding this text. You guys all seem very, very with me this morning. Are you very with me today? I feel like you're just like chewing. You're like, I don't know what it is. You know, the thing about this is, fair, if, you were, if I would have preached this 20 years ago, I would have done a completely different thing. I would have I I stomped on the Pharisee type thing. And we, we all have that picture of the Pharisee in our head, right? It's the guy that, like in our modern day, we would use a picture that they probably do go to church all the time. And, they, and somebody, I would have preached this and I would have said, so if somebody comes walking into our church, no matter who they are, we need to, You know what? That's not us. This church, we got that part figured out. It doesn't matter who you are. Anybody can walk in these doors and you guys are like, come on in. You don't care how they're dressed, what they look like, how they smell. I mean, you're like, well, I don't care. Jesus is for everybody. You guys love that stuff. You're already there. Sorry. You're already there. You know that stuff. 20 years ago, I would have been ready to stomp on those Pharisees in the room. I'd be like, you Pharisees, you don't like people. That's not going on in front of me. I don't see anybody here that would, I would even think that's how you are. But you know what I do see when I look out across this room? I see a bunch of people that are like this woman. And I want you to know one thing in particular today. God sees you. You're forgiven. I don't care what, what you've done in your life, where you've been, how bad it's been, it doesn't matter. And I see you guys coming, coming to church. I see you praying, or reading your Bible. And, and I, I know that some of you, you read those words, and every once in a while it strikes you, and there's tears that come. I know when you're sitting in here and sometimes you're praying and it, it's like, like the hair on the feet and you're, Lord, I, I'm not, I don't deserve to be at the, but like just the feet of Jesus, Lord, do you hear? And I know some of you, when you're in here, you're singing and some of you got some good voices. Some of you got some voices like me. But regardless, it's like this anointing of oil on the feet of Jesus as you sing your songs. And I want you to know that love and devotion I know, you don't have it together. It's okay, I know. I know that if we start examining your life, you go, I don't have it together yet, Matt. I'm not there. I know. But I want you to know that that love and devotion that's springing, the fact that you're here, instead of sitting at home, indulging in whatever you want to do, the fact that you are here, 
Those who have been forgiven much love much. And so when you come crying, when you come wiping his feet, when you come singing those praises, Lord, I want you to know that Christ sees you. And if he was standing here, he wouldn't look with contempt and say, why? I mean, it'd be the whole group of us, really. I mean, you know, why'd Edward come here to your feet? But he looks out at you and he says, I see you. And you're forgiven. I see that. I know. You're a person of the city. And you've done some stuff that you would be embarrassed and ashamed of. But you've stepped foot into this church because you, you're banking on Jesus being all he said he was. And you're here just like me. And I want you to note that today, if there's nothing else you hear, I want you to picture yourself in her spot in Christ looking at you. And saying those who have been forgiven. That love you got, that you didn't muster that up either, did you? Where'd that come from? You know you. You're not, you're not dedicated to do religious things and go to church, are you? Where'd that love come from? You've been forgiven much. That's where it came from. And those who are forgiven much, that love and devotion you're starting to exhibit towards the things of God, that comes, that's a result of the forgiveness that God has already worked in you. So if you're seeking assurance, don't seek it from getting your act together. You've probably given up on that one already, haven't you? Anybody in here got your, you got your act all the way together? No, you're just... No, nobody's even venturing to jokingly raise their hand. Because you know you don't. But that love and the devotion that's springing up in you that, you, that you even sometimes look at it and go, where did that come When you got up this morning, some of you even thought it. You're like, that's not me. I'd be fishing, or I'd be doing this, or I'd be, where, why am I? That's it, right here. I'm going to read the last two verses. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, and I think we have a song at the end. Let me read the last two verses. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? There must have been some other people at the table. Like, who is this? Who even forgives sins? But then he says one more thing to the woman. Your faith has saved you. And go in peace. That's what I'm going to say at the end of this service right now. I'm going to say it, and we're going to sing a song. And I bet after I'm done singing it, I bet Paul's going to say it again. You're here today, and you don't have your act together. You don't have it put together. You, you, you don't even have any trouble. Like, you're not identifying with the Pharisee. You've met some of those guys. You don't like them anyway. But, you, but I don't want you to be at the other end where you... You're afraid to venture into the presence of Christ and cry at his feet. I want you to know that no matter what you've done in your life, I, and I, I, I would even challenge you, I, I would even challenge you to, to, to try me on it. I, you, there's not one thing you could do that I, I'm not going to hear me personally, that I'm going to say, no, that's, ooh, no. No way. No, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. On behalf of all that I've learned from this word, I can tell you right now that Christ, his grace, 
is greater than the greatest of your sins. His grace is greater than even the combination of all of your sins. His grace is greater than all of humanity's sins compiled one upon another. And His grace is bigger than that. And so you can be here today, and when you sing this song, I just want you to look up at His feet. And I want you to picture Him looking at you going, I see you. And your sins have been forgiven you. You can live this life in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask now that as we sing this final song this morning, I'd ask that we would, in, in some sense, as we're offering up our, our tears, our wiping of the feet, our anointing of your feet with oil through the, the singing of this song, God, I would just ask that you would help us to, to visualize you. Not as a God who looks with disdain on us, but as a God who looks with favor, with grace on us. Lord, I would ask that if there's anyone in here, God, I would ask right now that there's a person in this room who's having a difficult time believing that that grace is big enough. Lord, I would ask that your grace would break through into their heart today. And they would not have to go another day thinking they're too bad for your grace. I ask this now in the the name of Jesus who accomplished all these things. Amen.